Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Welcome to Adventist Voices, Spectrum's podcast. I'm Alexander Carpenter, and I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Ronald Williams, Jr., pastor of the Macedonia Seventh-day Adventist Church and urbanologist. We'll be talking about community engagement today. Thanks for joining me, Ron. Hey, Alex, it is a privilege and an honor to meet you and to be a part of your podcast. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, yeah, thanks for making time. And we're going to be talking about uh, you as a pastor, as an author, a speaker, and also the focus today, what you're doing for urban ministry. Um, if you would just kind of start us out, how did you decide to become a pastor? I worked Actually, it's interesting. I, I was working in information technology as a consultant um, since age 14. I knew I wanted to be in computers and I graduated in college, was working for corporate um, Fortune 500 companies as an IT consultant. And when I entered into um, re-entered into my Christian faith um, um, around 20, it was about around 2000, no, 1995. Um, I went into that all in and really enjoyed what I was doing. And when I became more active in the church, something clicked. I was at one point I was working at um, Xerox, no, uh, Xerox Connect. And I was also working for uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. And during those two assignments, I actually ran into some Christians and we started having in, um, in business during our lunch hour Bible studies. Wow. And eventually, honestly, I started spending more time meeting with colleagues, having a great excitement and joy um, doing Bible studies. And it started bleeding over into my job performance. And I was like, OK, Lord, maybe you're trying to tell me something. Long story short, eventually I, I was contemplating whether I was going to get a Ph.D., in IT, or if the Lord was sensing, was I sensing the Lord's urging and prompting to go into pastoral ministry? After prayer, talking with my mom, I finally decided to venture off into pastoral ministry after I planted a church. And once I got my very first day at Andrews, as soon as I stepped on campus for my very first class, I beat the instructor there. There was this serene peace, like I was in the perfect will of God, first day of seminary. And mm. from that point forward, it has just been a journey of joy and pleasure. Set its ups and downs, but the good has so much outweighed the bad. I just love what I, what I do. <laughs> That's great to hear. So you did your Master's of Divinity there at Andrews uh, 2003 through 2006, and then you did your uh, Doctor of Ministry there 2011 yeah. through 2015, focused on urban ministry. We're going to be talking more about that. Uh, later, but why don't you just talk briefly about the why you decided to focus your doctoral studies um, there? Oh man, <laughs> that is a very interesting question, Alex. Listen, um, before I re-entered um, into the Christian faith, um, I spent a lot of time and energy with the Nation of Islam. 
Hmm. And one of the things that was very attractive to me as an African-American man was the discipline of the nation, mm-hmm. the, desi- the deep indebted commitment to, to community development among the African-American community and the, the need to change the fabric of our future by intentionally engaging in self-development, self-improvement um, for the betterment of community improvement. And those values, those core values um, stuck with me, even though I eventually left the nation of Islam and that religious belief and and recommitted to Christ. Those core values about community development, engagement and involvement in making the world a better place stayed with me. And when I came into my um, Christian faith and, and eventually ministry, I began to really find my niche, if you will, in ministry in, in urban in urban issues, addressing systemic urban issues, trying to make sense of the issues of an urban community and how the gospel can be a point of resolution regarding the conflict and concerns that, that really hurt and diminish people's ability to thrive. Um, and from that vantage point, I just continued to engross myself and got great fulfillment um, in, in, in realizing that. And eventually there came a time where I, I needed to, I felt like I needed more of a disciplinary approach and a, and a deeper understanding of what could be. Um, and so hence I went and got back, went to the seminary again and got an, a doctorate degree, a terminal degree, um, in theology with the, with the practical specialty of urban ministry. <clears throat> so um, that I could become a professional practitioner. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about uh, some of the ways that you're translating that uh, scholarship into, uh, you know, uh, impacts uh, locally. I love this connection that you have with the Nation of Islam and the 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 awareness that you're you're bringing that community matters. I spent a little bit of time in Oakland um, during my grad studies and became more familiar with the history of the Black Panthers and the way that, you know, beyond the headlines, they were very focused in their neighborhoods, feeding children, educating children. And I'm curious, is there like one thing that comes to mind from the Nation of Islam practices, um, the empowerment that they um, pra- uh, practice and preach? that you think Adventists could learn from? I mean, we do a very good job with it, and, it, and it's the discipline of self-sacrifice. Mm. I mean, for us, the gospel centers around us being, be, being willing to die to self that Christ may rule, reign, and abide as we help to change the very fabric of the world in which we live. Those are the same value. That's the same value. The key core value of the nation of Islam is personal sacrifice for the benefit and the good of others Um, and being willing to give your life, to lay your life down on the line to see that happen. Um, And so those two, those two faith traditions for me, that's where they merged and helped me to make sense of what God was really deeply embedding in my heart and what he was calling me to do practically. Um, before I was to leave this earth hmm. in faithfulness. Nice. Well, it's um, always important to recognize that altruism that is rooted in um, deep uh, spiritual traditions. 
You've written a book called The Second Wind, What Happens When God's Purpose Intersects Human Passion. What drove you to uh, write about this subject? Oh, man, that's a great question. You know, my first of all, I have struggled. I struggled many years with a certain level of self-doubt. Um, one of the thing, one of the challenges with my growing up was not really having a lot of self-awareness and self-confidence. And when I became a part of the nation, that be, that that part of me began to be developed. Um, it it started, but it wasn't to its fullest common culmination. When I came back into Christianity and began to operate in the context of, of a Christian and to do ministry, I still struggled with that. Going into my doctoral program, um, right before I actually entered the program, I was still kind of struggling, still trying to identify what my unique gift, purpose, place was in this economy of life as God had ordained it. And, and about midway through the very first year of my doctoral program, I, I was starting to doubt that I could complete the program. And every year, literally, I would have these episodes where I was wanting to quit. Mm. I kept saying, why am I torturing myself like this? I kept feeling like I was not cut out, unworthy, didn't have what it took. And so this, so when I finally got through the program, the second win was my journey. It is, it's pretty much a biography of how I wrestled with the, the process of self-development and achieving to the highest level um for my life and in my family no no one in my family my immediate family finished undergrad college i'm the first generation in my family to finish a four-year degree then get two master degrees and then turn around and get a terminal degree you know and so my, i'm the first generation in my context and so it's it's a, a blessing but it didn't come without a lot of uh, a lot of bruises and bumps and <laughs> And learnings. And so that's what that book is about. It's about how do you wrestle with God's call and how do you deal with yourself and self-awareness and how do you allow the spirit of God to really press, challenge and mold you to be what God has, has put it in you. You have It has to come out of you some way, somehow. And through the process of being purged and challenged and stretched, like the study of a disciplined degree, you become a better person. And it's not just about the degree itself. It's about who you become as an individual as you go through that process. And so this book is pretty much my journey sharing with folks what I went through. And because I'm an avid runner, love running, got my 7.5 miles in the day, as a matter of fact, Alex, Great. <laughs> before I interview, um, <laughs> I use the idea of running and all of the dis all of the things that go through the running process. I use that as the metaphor, the framework to talk about the subject matter of passion and purpose and the intersection. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting read. So if runners, if there are any runners out there that, that resonate with running, you will love this book. If there's anybody that's just wanting to know, well, what, how do I discover my passion? What's it like to work in passion? What about spiritual gifts? What role do they play? Those are the questions that I was wrestling with. That's what the book kind of deals with, that journey of how to find that. Uh, I always like to hear about these things that uh, light up a person's face when they talk about it. And uh, seeing you uh, mention running, 
makes me want to know a little bit more about what you really enjoy about that uh, that discipline, that sport, that exercise. What is it that uh, that motivates you to uh, go through all that pain? And that's just it. Running it is not necessarily painful, although it can be. But running requires. For me, it requires me to endure something uncomfortable so that I can learn how to, I can learn the discipline of working through being uncomfortable. Hmm. So there's a, there's a little key phrase that I use, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so the discipline of running, it helps me to live in this constant state of how do you live when you're discomfort? What do you allow discomfort to do to you? Many people break get discouraged, get frustrated, quit things because of discomfort that life throws at you. The Christian journey is filled with pit holes and potholes and detours. And it's so easy, so easily to throw in the town and say, you know what, this is too much for me, Lord. I don't want this no more. I quit. If this is what it takes to be a Christian, I'm not, I don't want it anymore. I'd rather not have the, the animosity and the and the, the difficulty, make, make it easy for me out of here. And so that's what running does for me. It helps me to tune into the deeper meaning of life and to really learn how to work through discomfort because life is not going to be comforting. And for African-Americans, it has, we've had our times of glory, but for the most part, we live with a constant discomfort mm. um, in this United States of America. And so mm -hmm. how do we live in this context without losing our mind and without going mad? you know, crazy. <laughs> That's what yeah. really helps me to figure, you know, to focus on it and to rely and to develop inner strength. I didn't know we were going to get a good sermon here, but I, I, <laughs> I have to say amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you um, have a day job, which is uh, being a pastor, and that involves speaking, preparing sermons. Um, what is it? Do you, do you enjoy that part of, of your work? Can I be honest, Alex? I Please do. hate the journey. <laughs> I hate the process of sermon preparation. Oh my goodness, man, it's so overwhelming. Because you know, you have you know to do good, to do justice, and to do the word of God. Just you know, pastors, we spend hours yeah. agonizing over an archaic book that was written thousands of years ago in multiple languages, mm -hmm. and then we have to translate what's in that book to contemporary times and make sense of our world. That's the part that I love when you, when you get through the process and you present the mm -hmm. word of God to folks and you help them see the world in a different perspective. Love that part. But the grueling part of putting together a sermon and the study, you know, it's a kind of a love, hey, you love, I love, I love knowledge mm -hmm. and digging in, but it's also a very labor, laborious process. Yeah. Um, and so I, I get great joy out of it because I do it every week. <laughs> 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 and I've been at it for what, 16 years now. So okay. hey, I'm not changing yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So it's well, a love hate relationship, buddy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way life goes. And it's nice to 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 know that about um I know so many pastors, you know, have parts of their work that they, you know, that they just do because it has to get done and you know, uh, as a parishioner, I appreciate the, the thought that goes into that. 
Let's talk about um, the another part of your ministry, which is focused on community. And that brings us together here because um, the VersaCare Foundation helps support Spectrum and it's been supporting your work as well, especially with your urban tech school. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what your vision is and what, uh, what this is all about? Yeah. Um, about a year or so ago, a good friend, very good friend of mine, Pastor Dario Hoy, connected me with VersaCare and was sharing with me that here was an organization that is looking to really stretch the opportunity of what it means to be a, an Adventist Christian in the urban context. And they're looking for um, thought leaders and practitioners across the country who are doing some innovative things, who've got some wild, crazy dreams mm-hmm. about how to make church and Christ relevant um, in areas where it doesn't seem like, you know, there's a lot of hope, a lot of help. And so when she connected us together, um, I was able to meet with, with Tom there in the group. And we talked about, um, strategizing of how we could take some of our greatest dreams as practitioners and see what we can do to, to make Christ real in the marketplace of life. And what, what God put on my heart like more than 20 years ago um, was this vision to have a community, a technology center in a community that, res- that dealt with digital inequity. Um, being that I loved information technology, there are not there were not many um, African Americans in the tech field um, at different levels. And so when I did enter the tech field, you know, I was one of few, but I love technology and I wanted to see, I wanted to do everything I possibly could in technology. And yet at the same time, I felt a calling to really see how I could help others in my community be exposed to what tech, technology has to offer. And this VersaCare opportunity came where my church and I, we've been doing some really instrumental um, community engagement. And yet in our city, there is a great wealth of inequity when it comes to technology and being able to have access to it. And the pandemic exposed the depth Mm. of inequity in our community. Chester, Pennsylvania is, um, in, in terms of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, it is considered one of be, to be one of the most impoverished areas. It has the worst school district in terms of the entire Commonwealth. Um, it is extremely um, um, poor in terms of the poverty level. Um, if the national average for poverty is, let's uh, say, 30 20, somewhere between 20 and 30% for Chester is going to be high 30s to 40%, 50% poverty rate, real bad. And so, and the educational system, you know, there the college is probably the least um, likely thing for anyone in that community. The number of individuals who go to college is way, is less than 5%. Um, high school, um, those who are completing high school and high school dropouts the numbers exceed in Chester, the national averages. Mm. And so what opportunities would an individual have if they don't even finish high school or if they don't, if they do finish high school, but don't go to college, what do you do? Um, violence is there in the city. It's, it's one of the most dangerous cities in the, ch- in, in the state of Pennsylvania as, and as the, as the nation knows, Philadelphia is 
really going nuts when it comes to gun violence. Yeah. So we're a smaller microcosm of Philadelphia, but when you compare the two cities, the amount of violence per capita, we exceed <laughs> Philadelphia just because we're smaller. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure out how we could make a tangible difference as a faith community in a city that is riddled with these challenges um, and then finding how my wiring as someone who loves technology and, and ministry, how can we do something to make a difference? And this urban tech school idea came up after I visited a city across the river from us called Camden, New Jersey. And I found what was like the Google of community engagement, an organization called Hope Works Camden. Hmm. They do exactly what we're trying to do, and they've been at it for 20 years. They teach technology um, development uh, skills to high or at-risk young people and then help them transition from high-risk behavior into model citizens hmm. and improve their fabric of life. And they've been at that for years, and they're the gold standard at it. And when I was introduced to their program, um, made a proposal to them and asked them, could we implement and do replicate their program in the city of Chester? Because Camden was used to be what Cam what Chester is today, but Camden has gone through a great turnaround and is one of the model cities cities in New Jersey. But what can happen when urban development and 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 community engagement by faith leaders and business and government come together and really seek the change? The entire culture um and so it's it's one of the iconic uh cities now for that and so we we made an agreement to bring hope works over to chester and we have what's called uh next gen Ur urban coders technology school hmm. and that's what our vision is is to create a diversionary program to address digital inequity among minority youth between the ages of 17 and 26. Hmm. We, we we'll be teaching um, front-end development using CSS, HTML, JavaScript, and then we'll teach uh, Adobe Photoshop graphic design. And then another hot area that is explosive in the uh, tech industry is search engine optimization, SEO. So our students will be able to come into the program. And what makes this awesome is because many of our students are at risk, they don't pay for the program. They get paid to attend the program mm, and wow. come through the program. It's meant to incentivize. Oftentimes in community engagement, we give handouts. This program is meant to be a temporary handout that you may eventually have a hand up and then take care of yourself. So if we teach you the skills that you need to be self-determined, then the idea is you'll be able to go out and make a meaningful life for yourself and not have to rely upon someone else to continually be a hand feeding you. Hmm. That sounds like an incredible system. model. Yes, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, does this happen at the church like facility? Uh, how, are there church members involved? How are you running it? Do you have you, it seems like uh, it's um, got a lot of moving parts there and I'm curious to learn a little bit yeah, more about how question. it all happens. Yeah, great question. Macedonia Seventh-day Adventist Church is one of the premier small churches in the Allegheny East Conference. Our membership is only 250 on the books, literally about 100, 125, 150 people show up on any given Sabbath. 
Um, we're in a city of 34,000, but they have, they have had a heart for community engagement well before I got to the church. They have, a, they, they have a separate entity that is sponsored by the church, ran by the church, uh, 501c3, called the Better Living Center. And the Better Living Center is the community arm of the church that is responsible for community engagement initiatives, fundraising, as well as providing um, felt need services to the church, to the community of Chester. And through that organization, that was a trailblazer in the city of Chester for how to do effective communication. We, about three years ago, we decided that we needed to, to rebrand and do something different because there were other organizations that had pretty much jumped on our coattails and were doing things that we were doing. So for example, we were the very first to give away backpacks and have these back to school fairs in the city because people have, you know, students were having challenges having school supplies. So we, we went into that domain. Then we had some, and then we came up with the bright idea of, well, you know, it's great to give these resources to the students, but then teachers also wind up not having the necessary resources. So we then added an extra spin to ours. So we had not only backpacks for the students, but we started doing backpacks for the teachers because midway through a year, teachers would run out of supplies and then the government started, you know, taking away tax break incentives for teachers who were spending their own monies for supplies to make sure that their students had had materials. So we were like, hey, let's fill that gap. Eventually, you know, more and more people started seeing what we were doing and started replicating things. And so we was like, OK, we don't want to continue to do what everybody else is doing. What else can we do? And so we decided we did. We won a micro grant to restudy our vision and our focus as an organization and to figure out what we were doing. Well, our original charter was to not give away food, not give away backpacks. Our original charter was actually to be community developer, to be a community development corporation where we address housing inequity, where we address financial challenges within the community and where we deal with educational um, challenges within this aspect of the community. After doing this extensive re, restudy of our organization, we rebranded ourselves and then we refocused to our original design and original charter, which is to provide technology or educational opportunities to a challenging community. And hence, once we got that refocus and reimagining of that vision, then our church and the, and the Better Living Center board together, we said, okay, what do we do? We got funding from, from Tom's organization to start this off. And now we're at the stages of implementing this awesome tech school so that we can change the fabric of young people's lives. Hmm. I uh, love that you have this, um, this tradition within your congregation for community engagement. And, um, you know, I feel like the Adventist church at large, especially let's say the white Adventist church thinks of community engagement as putting on a Daniel and Revelation seminar, or maybe doing a cooking school, uh, maybe you know, giving donating some clothes to folks uh, if they're going to get really radical. Um, what what do you think that the African American church can teach the Adventist Church in America about actually understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Oh, wow. That's a very I know I gave you a, a hot question there, but I feel the spirit moving. Um, yeah. You know, 
one of the one of the bigger biggest challenges within our Seventh Day Adventism is we have always been on the cutting edge of theology. Mm. Always that we were branded. I mean, we came out of theological innovation. It's the sanctuary, you know, <laughs> read the, the, the reclamation of the Sabbath, mm -hmm. um, read state of the dead. understanding the state of the dead. So we have never been gun shy theologically of being innovative, but we have yet to really break through the barrier of how do we translate theology into practical Christianity? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Actually doing theology in the flesh like living the way Jesus lived, you know, and that's where we have dropped the ball miserably, you know, and, and for the, for the average seven day Adventist to fill that gap, Alex, we put together ADRA yeah. <laughs> so we could fund other folks to do that. <laughs> um, Adventist community relief the, as, as an organization. So we give money to people who do these things, but the average church doesn't make yeah. the transition that no i'm called to be the hands and the feet of jesus matthew 25 when 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 you have the sheep and the goats on one side and god goes through did you visit me when i was in prison did you give food to me when i was hungry did you put clothes on me when i was naked that's jesus asking the faithful what were you doing he never mentions how much did you do in terms of Sabbath keeping? Uh, do you mm. know any of the Daniel prophecy? Um, how, were you a good seventh day keeper? How about the state of the dead? Did you, you know, did you do a Bible? He doesn't even ask about a Bible study. And these are things that are important. But in the when when it comes to the judgment of practical theology, Christ isn't worried about doctrine. He's worried about what did we do practically to make him alive in the context of the world in which we are called to live. Mm. And so I think resources have have allowed many of our our adherents to ignore personal responsibility for doing ministry on a practical basis um ellen white there was a quote that i was that i found recently that just kind of spoke to my soul ellen white says in christian service the secret of our success in the work of god will be found in the harmonious working of our people the harmonious working of our people not the pastor <laughs> not the bible worker she says our people there must be concentrated action every member of the body of christ must act his part in the cause of god according to the ability that god has given him many of our white adventists have been blessed with resources and so resource has usually been the means and the way to fill a certain level of responsibility, not necessarily getting our hands, your hands dirty. Hmm. For African-Americans, we've not had the resources. So for us, we've had to get our hands dirty and figure out how do we meet our own needs because it wasn't there. And so I think that's what has made the big difference for us when it comes to community engagement. We didn't have the ability to go out here and, 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 and have 30,000 
$30,000 given to us as an endowment and then have this really nice infrastructure. We literally had to build the $30,000. And how do we do that? Well, we had to figure out, we had to have some, some food giveaways. We had to maybe do some fish dinners. and We maybe had to do some very creative means of raising money, you know, to, to kind of do some of those activities. And just being relevant and struggling to make ends meet is kind of what inspired us to kind of rethink how we do ministry. And so most of the, most of our blessings as black people in America have come because the church has always been on the front end of how do we help our community be recognized, be self-determined, get up out of the challenges of oppression and really take and, and do for ourselves. And hence, that has translated into black Adventism as a whole and into the black church as a whole. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, and I, I, I could be painfully honest, Alex, please. Unfortunately, please. we're starting to see, even within black Adventism, the more resourceful we become, mm-hmm. the more we're starting to act like others mm. and get a more get away from the more hands on. And no, let me just give resources to this. Yeah. The, the so, danger is uh, comfort uh, isolates us from each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And isn't that prophetic? I mean, think about in, in Revelation, when Jesus um, talks about the church, you when he on Revelation chapter three, when he talks about I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone lets me in and when he when he describes the church of Laodicea, there are things that the church of Laodicea have neglected to do because they've been living in their comfort zone. They have no want of anything material because they've been so blessed, but they're not doing anything with those material blessings to help someone else. (laughs) Yes. Well, um, I think I've gotten two or three great sermons out of you. So I know you say that it's a struggle, but you definitely have a talent for speaking the truth. And I really appreciate you doing uh, that with uh, me and everyone listening. Um, It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for what you're doing um, for your local community and um, in the name of all of us Adventists for uh, helping us understand some ways that we can really engage our communities um, in better ways down the road. Thank you. It's a privilege. It's been an honor. And I look forward to working with you again and seeing God do some great things through our church. I mean, hey, the best is yet to come, Alex. Great. I believe that. And I'm looking forward to seeing um, what all you're able to accomplish. Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move when the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely 